Before I begin, I want to just mention how exciting it was to be here yesterday and to see the breakfast with Santa. I know that we had a lot more people here this year than in previous years. And you know, doing that is exactly what we're called to do, and it's part of our vision statement, filling every neighborhood with the love of God, Jesus Christ. I want, I want to ask, how many of you, if you participated or helped in any way, would you please stand? Please stand if you helped out with breakfast and Santa. Breakfast for Santa. Thank you. Thank you. This is exactly what we need to be doing as a church. Let's join together in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, I begin a series of sermons for this Advent season called The Promises of Christmas. The Promises of Christmas. Advent's a season filled with the promise of the arrival of Christ. And Christ's arrival would fulfill many promises. During the next few weeks, we'll look at some of the promises that Jesus came to fulfill. Let's begin with the first promise then. The promise of hope. You know, hope's a very appropriate word for this first Sunday of Advent. Because the entire season of Advent's a season of hope. You know, hope is as necessary to life as oxygen. And Christianity is essentially a religion of hope. A new stupendous hope born of the incarnation. However, the seeds for this hope are found in the Old Testament. And you know, this hope is present in word and thought in our Old Testament prophecies this week. The psalmist declares, Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Isaiah also carries this same hopeful promise. Thirsty deserts will be glad. Barren lands will blossom with flowers. The eyes of the blind will be healed and the ears of the deaf will be healed. Thirsty deserts will be glad. Barren lands will celebrate and blossom with flowers. The blind will see and the ears of the deaf will be healed. You know, just as an oak tree is an acorn's hope, so Christ is the culmination of this Old Testament hope. And you know, there tend to be three general ways in which people respond to the promise of hope that Jesus came to fulfill. This morning, I'd like to very briefly look at each of those three responses, each of those three groups. And as usual, if you'd like to follow along, there's a sermon outline printed in your bulletin for your convenience. Or if you choose, you can follow along with the PowerPoint presentation. So let's begin with the first group, the first response. First, we begin with the hopeless. First, we begin with the hopeless. You know, the hopeless are those who reject or can't see the promise of hope. These are the hopeless. There have always been some people in life who either reject or can't see the promise of hope that Jesus came to fulfill. You know, they seem to see only the negative 
or darker side of life. They see no hope or meaning to anything in life. And even sadder still, the ones that we would naturally think have the most promise are often the very ones who are dropping out of life. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you have ever heard of the Okigahara Forest? Anybody ever heard of the Okigahara Forest? Well, it's spelled A-O-K-I-G-A-H-A-R-A. This beautiful 14-square-mile forest lies at the northwest base of Mount Fuji in Japan. It's known for being exceptionally quiet. In fact, it's so quiet that if you walk into that forest, you'll hear almost no birds, no animals, no sounds of any kind. So quiet that you can almost hear your own heart beat. It's also known as the suicide forest. And one of the most popular places for suicide, second in the world only to San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. Now, it's truly a haunting place. It's truly a haunting place. When you go there... One of the things you notice in the parking lot is there are dozens of abandoned cars. People who have dropped out of life. And those cars have been sitting there for months. Walk into the forest and you'll find abandoned gloves, abandoned boots, shoes, abandoned backpacks, tents, all lying around from people who have dropped out of life. And you know the most popular methods are hanging and drug overdoses. It's truly haunting. You know, the Tokyo Times reported that more than 30,000 people each year take their lives in Japan and that it has the seventh highest suicide rate in the world. Seventh highest suicide rate in the world. These are people who have lost their hope. You know, the world is filled with people who can see no light at the end of the tunnel. The word hope is foreign to their vocabulary. These are the hopeless. These are the hopeless. And you know, we really confront a lot of them in this Advent season and as we approach Christmas. But there's a second group we need to look at, a different response to the promise of hope that Jesus came to fulfill. Second, there are the hoping. Second, there are the hoping. Now, the hoping are people who go to the opposite extreme. They place their hopes on things that have no basis in reality. And you know, they, their hopes are based on fantasies and pipe dreams that have little to do with the real world. And you know, it's ironic that these fantasies often keep the promise of hope that Christ came to fulfill from being fulfilled. It's true. They build their lives on fictions and illusions that often lead to tragic results. Let me give you an example. You know, one of the most interesting and puzzling figures of American history is General George Armstrong Custer. General George Armstrong Custer. For over a hundred years, historians have been trying to figure out 
why Custer foolishly led his troops into the Battle of the Little Bighorn in Montana. His 7th Cavalry was so outnumbered that every man under Custer knew they were doomed. And they were. They were slaughtered in just 18 minutes. Only one horse survived. Now, why did Custer do that? Well, you know, the consensus of most historians, the most competent historians, is that Custer was driven by the hope of becoming President of the United States. He was driven by the hope of becoming President of the United States. Now, General Grant was in the White House because of his historic and courageous leadership in the Civil War. Custer thought that he could make it with a smashing victory against the Indians. 1876 was a milestone year. It was not only an election year, but it was also the 100th birthday of our nation. So, Custer timed his attack just nine days before the important date of July the 4th. And it's known that Custer and some of his officers wanted to attend the opening of the Philadelphia Centennial Exposition on July the 4th. You see, they would get there to the fair if the power of the Sioux could be quickly overcome. Custer would be hailed as a hero at the fair, and that publicity would spread to the Democratic Convention a week later in St. Louis. Now, that was the plan. A messenger would ride from the Little Bighorn to the Bozeman Telegraph office with the result that the news would spread to the delegates while the presidential nominees were being considered. Now, who knows if it would have worked if Custer had been victorious. But historians are doubtful, given Custer's reputation as a reckless hothead. Ever since he'd finished last in his class at West Point, he'd had a difficult time faring with people. Nevertheless, it was hoping for the impossible that led him to his fateful end. And you know, that's... That's a problem almost as serious as not having any hope at all. Not having any hope at all. Benjamin Franklin once said, it's hard for an empty sack to stand upright. It's hard for an empty sack to stand upright. Such are the hoping. Such are the hoping. And that brings us to the third and final group and the response to the hope that Jesus Christ came to fulfill. Third and finally, there are the hopeful. Third and finally, there are the hopeful. Now, the hopeful are those who accept and trust the promise of hope. Unlike the hoping, the hopeful have a trust that is firmly grounded and established upon the rock. The hopeful find their hope in God. And no matter what the circumstances may be, they never take their eyes off the source of their hope. You see, they're like Noah, who when the world was filled with violence, found favor in God's eyes and built an ark, the instrument of rescue. They're like Abraham, the pilgrim, pioneer, and father of Israel, 
the nomad, the wanderer, and Moses, the leader of the exodus, the one who led the oppressed out of despair and bondage into freedom. I want to close with this last illustration. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a man who was a man filled with hope. He was one who was a man of hope. And you know, he even once wrote, everything done in the world is done by the hopeful. Everything that's done in the world is done by the hopeful. Now his was a solitary voice crying out in a wilderness of corrupt church practices and deceit. He cried out for an end to the indulgences and the corruption that was eating away at the moral foundations of the church. And you know, his courageous hope is an inspiration to us all. But did you realize that Luther was not always so hopeful? He wasn't always so hopeful. In his latter days, he struggled against melancholy and depression. In fact, on one day, one particular day, he was so moody that his wife, Catherine von Bora, dressed herself up in mourning clothes, a black crepe. When Luther demanded to know why she was in mourning, she said, I thought God died. I thought God died. And you know, Luther got the message. Now, you know, as Christians, we have a hope that doesn't fade away. And that hope finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have hope. Because we know that no matter what our circumstances may be, no matter what trials we may have to go through, we ultimately have the victory through Jesus Christ. And we can live as a people of hope. As a people of hope. Better yet, as a people of hope, through Christ, we can offer the world a new vision of hope. Think about that. As a people of hope through Christ, we can offer the world a new vision of hope. Well, in conclusion, the promise of hope. Christ is the fulfillment of that hope. And through him, we can be a people of hope. The hopeless, the hoping, and the hopeful. In which group do you fit? Whoever has the ears to hear. Let that one hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen.